الله وكفى وسلاما على بعده الذي نصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ذلكم الله ربكم لا إله إلا هو خالق كل شيء فاعبدوه وهو على كل شيء وكيل صدق الله العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم جزاكم الله خير everyone for coming to the Mihrab Foundation Sacred Knowledge class on the 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by Imam Ghazali Is anyone not here last week? So just uh, uh, we have a sign-up sheet for it it's just a uh, email address. You don't have to put your phone number if you don't want to. Um, it's just for the class so that reminder emails will go out for it uh, if, and it'll be on the Mihrab mailing list. Um, reminder emails, cancellations, changes. If you're already signed up on one of these, just put it down again because it won't be duplicated. Your email address won't be duplicated um, in our system. Um, also, if we have programs or something specific to uh, the UW students, then you know, rather than like advertising to the whole greater Seattle, we might just do like targeted advertising or something like that. So, um, yeah, so just pass it around, inshallah. So last week we did Al-Haq. This week we move on to Al-Wakil. So this is the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Wakil, and it means the trustee. So the one who something is entrusted to. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in the Quran, Allahu rabbukum, that that is... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your Rabb, your Lord. La ilaha illahu, there is no deity except for Him. Khaliqu kulli shay. He is the creator of everything. Fa'buduhu, so worship Him. Wahuwa ala kulli shayin wakil. And He is a trustee over everything. Now, Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, he breaks this down. And he says that basically there are two types of trustees. Right? So a trustee is one who matters are entrusted to him. And there's two types. There is the deficient entrustment. And there is the absolute entrustment. So what's the difference between these two? The deficient entrustment is that a person only becomes a trustee. Uh, the deficient entrustment is that somebody only becomes a trustee when something is entrusted to them, yeah. Wait, what was the name again? Al-Wakil. Wakil. Wakil, yeah. So like, for example, in, in Urdu, right, a lawyer is called a Wakil, right? Why? Because they are, you will have entrusted them for your case. So they are representing you. So that, because they can do something that you don't have the ability to do. Okay, so there's the deficient entrustment and there's the absolute entrustment. Deficient entrustment is that somebody only becomes a trustee after they have been entrusted with something, okay? Meaning, we are not trustees until somebody, until that action takes place, until that appointment takes place. And the absolute entrustment is that everything is always entrusted to him and can never be taken out of his trust. So understand the difference? One requires appointment and the other one is there whether there is appointment or not. Understand? The first type speaks not to the nature of the trustee itself, but rather by empowerment and delegation. So that's what we mean. Imam Uzzai says the first one, the deficient entrustment, happens by empowerment because you have now empowered somebody to, to this position. 
uh, and by delegation. Therefore, this individual is deficient because he is in need of that empowerment, because he is in need of that appointment. Because without it, the individual would not be the trustee, right? So he's in need, this individual is in need of that appointment. Uh, therefore, there's deficiency. Now, the people who have this deficient entrustment, right? This doesn't necessarily mean that a person is deficient in the task that has been given to them. That's not what it means. But whoever is made a trustee, uh, they could either fulfill their trust entirely, right? And then so that means that the task is done and the person is no longer a trustee. Right? So you appoint somebody to do something, they fulfill it to its entirety, to its end, and they do a good job. And as soon as that task is finished, they're no longer a trustee. Again, bringing to light that the individual, the entrustment was a deficient entrustment. Or the person could have shortcomings in, fulf in, fulfilling, uh, in the fulfillment of, of whatever it is was appointed to them. Therefore, whether they do it perfectly or not and complete the task, or are deficient in it and do not complete the task, or complete it with shortcomings. Both of them, right, the second one becomes a uh, is not a trustee at all because they have failed to carry out the task the way it needed to be. So we can see how both individuals are deficient, whether you do it perfectly or you have some shortcoming in it. Both, have, both are deficient because one proves that you are, not in a, you, are, you are not a trustee or not the rightful trustee, and the other, it comes to an end, the task comes to an end. Now, the second one we spoke about, and we said there's two types of entrustment, the deficient and the absolute. The second type, which is the absolute entrustment, this is by nature. So the first one was not by nature, but by appointment. The second one is by nature, the one who is deserving to be entrusted. And Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he goes on and he mentions, and the one whom hearts place their trust. So the hearts put their trust in this one being. The one who is fully capable of carrying out whatever tasks, and he is faithful in executing them, Perfect, perfectly. And this entrustment never comes to an end. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said, ala kulli shay'in wakil. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is a wakil, He is a trustee over everything. So over the entire universe, over all of creation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the trustee. He is the one looking after the affairs of everything, making sure everything occurs the way it's supposed to, making sure that all the uh, asbab are there, making sure that we have the means to do things, making sure that the means uh, fulfill whatever it is we're using them for, or not. Right? He's in control of all of it. Sometimes we take medicine and it doesn't work. Sometimes we take medicine and it works. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in control of all of that. So even when we take medicine, for example, on a side note, we take it not with the idea that the medicine is what cures me, but that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put cure in this medicine. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow that medicine to cure us. Because there's a fine line, there's a slight difference. Right? Somebody who is technically, it's a deficiency in our iman if we think the medicine cures without the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Now, obviously a lot of times people don't think about this thing. They might say, oh, take this, the medicine will cure you. They might not have thought about this. It doesn't mean they're like... You know, they, oh, they, their iman is all screwed up and all that stuff. They just don't think about it, right? We're not so picky in our <laughs> explanation and understanding of things. But if we really get down to the understanding of it, this is what it means. This is how we view medicine and whatever other means there are. Uh, so this type of trust entrustment, it never comes to an end. 
Now, Imam Ghazali, he mentions that a trustee has to be, who is, who is, a, who is the rightful trustee? The rightful trustee is somebody who is smarter, better, who is more apt and more capable than the one handing over the trust. So like we gave the example of the lawyer. It's interesting, anybody has ever hired a lawyer to, for a traffic ticket, for a speeding ticket? No? I have. <laughs> right? I wasn't there to, to witness it, but my cousin's a lawyer. And uh, he was explaining to me, he's like, yeah, this one lawyer, whatever, he's really good. He goes, you should watch him go in there and how he talks to the judge. One thing after another, he just brings up point after point after point. You know, like, I don't even know all of it. You know, for example, when was the last time the radar was checked for accuracy, right? Did the, did the, uh, the officer who filed the ticket, did he do such and such thing? The judge will decline it. It'll just be like, you know, he'll serve, the, the lawyer serves something up and the judge bats it away. And the lawyer serves up something else and the judge bats away until eventually the judge says like, okay, yeah, you're right. Maybe the radar, it was like three weeks ago, the radar was checked for accuracy. So case dismissed, no ticket, you know? It's not only that, he said there's a whole list of things that they go down. So you would think like, oh, if I learn those things then I can go handle it myself. But most of us can't, right? You might see the lawyer discussing and asking and you know, presenting a case. You think you might be able to do it, but you can't. That's why, you, that's why we hire a lawyer. Because we are, we entrust them, we make them our trustee. That you are smarter than me, you are better than me and more capable than me in this task. So I hand over the reins of the case to you, to represent me, right? So whoever has this absolute trust in the ultimate and faithful trustee, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's the ultimate one because he has all of these qualities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's nobody better than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nobody even parallel to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no one even in the same discussion that could be a trustee over all of these things, over the entire universe. And he is the faithful trustee because he fulfills that trust. The world is moving, the universe is going forward, everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken charge of is still under his care. The one who, whoever has this absolute trust in that being, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, owns, he says, he owns a greater treasure than the greatest treasures of this world. Why? This is talking about our conviction in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you trust in thee, in your affairs that whatever is happening, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his wisdom. So why does Imam Ghazali rahimullah say that whoever has this level of trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala owns a greater treasure than the greatest treasures of the world? Why? It's not rhetorical, I want to hear you guys' answers. Right, they've left everything to him. So then what happens? Right. So what's the result of that? Uh, everything becomes better for them. <laughs> everything becomes better for them? Yeah. Anything to add? Allah is better than this world. And then basically, Allah is also way better than Jannah. So when you have both, either one of those things or both of those things is better than this world. Right. Trusting Allah, you get both. Right. So that's one of those are, yeah, good. Those are both good answers. Imam Ghazali mentions, he says, when you have this level of trust, then what happens? Then even in total loss of effort, the person does not fall into despair. Right? Even in total loss, like you've exhausted, when do people go into despair? Usually when they've exhausted all their efforts trying to attain something, trying to be successful in something, and they still come up short, 
They still fail. Somebody called me last week or a couple weeks ago looking for a job. They're like, man, I don't know what to do. I think there's some type of nadar or ayn on me, right? The evil eye on me. I, I go to these interviews and I can't get a job. It's like, I mean, you know, it happens, right? Like the whole, there's a lot of people looking for jobs, you know? It doesn't mean there's something like something on you or whatever. He's like, no, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Make dua, man. I don't know. I need to do something. Give me something I can read. Why? You've exerted, what happened? This individual exerted all their effort. They went, you know, they prepared for the interview. They did well in school. They got the degrees. They did great in the interview and still they didn't get the job. So you start feeling a type of despair, right? That you can't do it. He says, Imam Ghazali says that when you put, when you have that level of trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then even in total loss, an individual does not despair. Rather, they're at peace. They're still at peace. Despite having a total loss, not being able to accomplish anything. So he says that if that peace is non-existent, then there is no worldly benefit, no material measure that can bring happiness. Understand? That's what when we say like the, the sakina of the heart. You know, so when Rasulullah was on his migration and uh, Abu Bakr was with him and they were in the cave of Thawr and the, the mushrikeen of Makkah came and they were trying to kill them. Abu Bakr became afraid. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, right? وَلَا تَحْزَنْ That do not grieve. What did He say? إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَنَا Rasulullah said this, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala included this in the Qur'an, that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with both of us. And then what the verse goes on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He put in His heart, the heart of Abu Bakr and Rasulullah He put this sakina in their hearts. Rasulullah already wasn't afraid. He knew that he had a task at hand and he knew Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was going to make him successful in it. So he put that sukoon, that sakina in the heart of Abu Bakr radiallahu And he was at peace. The night before the battle of Badr, the Muslims were at complete peace to the point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they, they didn't fall asleep. They were sleeping peacefully the night before Badr. Imagine the first great battle that took place. You're outnumbered three to one. You don't have cavalry. You barely have any weapons. And you're just sleeping the night before the battle, just relaxing. We don't even, we have a hard time sleeping the night before our finals, right? Who's had trouble sleeping the night before our finals, right? <laughs> These people are just at total peace. The Sahaba. Why? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they weren't sleeping. He put a type of, he put nu'as on them, which is a type of such tranquility that it's, it's like the sister of sleep, right? The death is also the sister of sleep, but obviously they weren't dead. It's a type of, it's a type of sleep. It's understood to be a type of sleep, but in actuality, in reality, the person is not sleeping. Right? You could say like a type of deep meditation overtook them. So they're at complete peace. So Imam Huzayi says, he says that if that peace is non-existent, then there's no worldly benefit, nor is there any material measure that can bring happiness. And we see all around us, the economy goes down. What happened? Several years ago, several years ago, when the, one of the first times the economy crashed, like early 2000s or mid-2000s, when the economy crashed, then what happened? There was somebody, uh, I think it was here in Seattle, right? People started burning themselves. Yeah, it was at UW. Somebody, somebody lit themselves on fire. Killed themselves, right? And everyone all around was like throwing water bottles, like take, emptying their water bottles out, trying to put the fire out. There was someone in California, they owned an entire compound. Forget a house or a mansion, a whole compound they had. And they killed their wife and their child, and then they committed suicide. Why? Because the individual lost half of his wealth over, practically overnight, maybe within a week or something. The stock market crashed. 
But how much wealth did he lose? Half his wealth, it was like $10 million that he lost. So he still had $10 million, but no peace, no security, right? No tranquility in the heart. So they, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. We don't look down on them, but we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having granted us iman and for putting the example of Rasulullah out there in front of us. You know, if it wasn't for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and rahmah and guidance, we would have been far worse, right? We've done far worse things. But people go into a type of despair, and that's why it's so important to have tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Tawakkul also, we talk about tawakkul, trust. Tawakkul and wakil, they come from the same word. This is why it's important. Imam Uzayi then he mentions, he says, what is, what, uh, or the ulama mentioned that what is, what prevents us from attaining this? What stops us from attaining this level of trust? He says that excessive ambition, miserliness, competitiveness, fear and imagination, they stop us, they prevent us from this. Now, obviously these are things in their extremes. We're not saying that you shouldn't be ambitious. It's good to have ambition. I've seen, I've seen a lot of, several ulama and great you know, people who have a very strong relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be very ambitious in their career. So being ambitious in school and in your career, that doesn't, that's not going against the tawakkul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But ha- going, taking it to a, an extreme level, right? That's why he says excessive ambition, excessive uh, or miserliness also, right? Excessive competition, excessive fear. These things prevent us. Because what happens is when you, bec- when you go into excess, when you go into extremes regarding these things, then we lose sight of the akhirah. Everything becomes about the dunya. Everything becomes about attaining something more, right? Yeah. So excessive ambition, you would say like ambition that you would put to the extent that you would put it over the deen. Right. Or, okay. Yeah, right? So you, put, you make, you make the, the world a priority. Right, and you see, there's a there's a difference between how we live in America and how people live in other parts of the world, including Europe. Right, Europe's also different than America. Many places, for example, when I was in South Africa, uh, they asked, they said, you know, they said, you know, we're. They told me they said that our stores, yeah, they're open very late. They're open really late, especially like Christmas time and all that. So, what time are they open? Their extended holiday hours are 7 p.m., Christmas time. <laughs> I was like, subhanAllah, we, we, our stores open at 8 or 9 a.m., and we close at 9 or 10 on a regular basis. And Christmas time, they're just open all night. They're open until 12 or 1. They open back up at like 7 in the morning, right? What happens? Black Friday. Is like <laughs> now there's no, before there used to at least be sleep. Last year, there was a protest happening because certain individuals were, were expected to start working at 8 p.m. on Thanksgiving. And they're like, this is not even, like, Thanksgiving is supposed to be a national holiday, right? This is like going into excess. You know, what happens in other parts of the world, they are working in order to live, whereas over here, we are living to work. That's the difference, right? So living in order to work, to make, our, make that our goal and objective in life, that's problematic. That's what will be, bring a barrier between us and having this trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, like, we always hear the story, the, the hadith. This is like one of the most commonly quoted uh, incidents in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu And in my, uh, in my observation, oftentimes it's, been, it's being said to those individuals who have some type of religious ambition. That you have to tie your camel down, right? And who's heard that? Anybody heard that? You want to do something, you say, well, you got to tie your camel down. 
I heard this a lot. When I was going to go study in South Africa, you have to tie your camel down. What are you going to do for work? I don't know what I'm going to do for work. We'll find out when I come back. <laughs> you know? You trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you do something. But the problem is, so what is the incident tying the camel down? That there was one companion who didn't, who thought that it was trusting in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when he arrives at the masjid or he goes to a place, he leaves his camel there and he goes inside. He doesn't tie it. He doesn't leash it to like a tree or something to prevent it from going away. So Rasulullah told him, he said, no, that's, there's, there's deficiency in your thinking. You should tie the camel down. Right? So this is used oftentimes to, to show like, oh, you have to, you know, you have to have a huge big plan on about working and all stuff. And we should. We have a plan, right? And what's our plan? Generally, go to school, pick this career, get this degree, apply for these jobs. There is this type of uh, job, you know, this particular type of job or this field is up and coming. That's all fine, right? We should do that. We should do that. But we're not, most of us are not in a situation where we are just tying our camel down. We're like, we don't want to leave that camel, you know? We'll be like, we would rather be that individual that rather than tying the camel down and going into the masjid, we'll say, no, I'm just going to pray out here because it might get away despite myself having tied it down. That's become our situation. Yeah. So, I mean, you're in school, right? So you have, to, you have to try. And obviously some majors require a lot more work than others. Um, so you have to prioritize, but Dean should always be a priority. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to take every single class that's being offered and halaqa that's being offered in the whole community you know, every single day. There's stuff for every day of the week happening. It doesn't mean you go to everything. But there should be some time that you set aside for us for, to take part to, to replenish our souls to replenish ourselves, to keep that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strong, right? And really, if you think about it, we do have time for it. You know, even in those majors where you're working so hard, like so many classes, such difficult uh, uh, homework and all that stuff, we still end up making time, right? We make time to hang out with our friends. We make time to go do whatever, like have fun and all that stuff. And sometimes, yeah, you do need to relax. But what we end up doing is when we're free from school, we don't want to go and replenish ourselves in the deen. We'd rather just go and have fun, you know? And fun is okay also, right? You need your, you need your like, winding down time. When I was studying in madrasa, we used to sleep. We used to become free from our day at 10 p.m., okay? And we used to get up at 4.30 for fajr, okay? So 10 p.m. we became free, but you got to just, you got to wind down. I couldn't be the one who just went to sleep, you know? I, I couldn't be the one that just went to sleep. I needed to wind down. And so, you know, we would go, we'd work out, we'd maybe play some basketball, we'd sit around, just talk, we'd have some food, whatever, you know. And after all that, it's still some type of socialization. I'd sit down at, you know, at like maybe like 12 o'clock, midnight, 12.30 sometimes, and I'd just read a book and have some tea, you know, for half an hour, hour, whatever. And yeah, I was sacrificing my sleep, but I, I was like, in my state of mind, I just needed to do that just by myself, just sit for a little while and just kind of, and it wasn't, it wasn't even like Islamic books, it was just novels, you know, I would just read some novel or something, it kind of takes your mind away from it. So you got to prioritize and you need to, that winding down, you need to go and just kind of let that stress kind of go away, you know, uh, relieve it. But uh, the problem is that we get so caught up in the affairs of school and work and family that 
we keep putting off matters of deen, keep putting off matters of religion, and then years go by, years go by, and we don't learn anything. We don't progress in our path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all. You know? And so there's different, you know, everyone's at a different place. But I would say even like Juma is not sufficient, right? By the way, Juma is not there to teach and have a big lesson and, you know, it's just, it's meant to just be there for a very quick reminder about something, you know? The Prophet saw some, his salah was longer than his khutbah, you know? Why? Because it's just there for something. It's not there to teach, to teach matters. It's there to be like, oh, 10th of Muharram is coming up. Don't forget to fast, you know? Something like that. But we leave it that we want big discourses done in Juma, whereas there's so many people coming to Juma that don't come on a regular basis who, you know, there's a lot of people in Juma and Salat al-Eid even more that don't, have very much understanding, who haven't learned things about the deen, and you want to talk about intricate rulings, it's not the place for it. You know? It's not the place for it. People are going to be turned away. So we have to learn to prioritize. And if we don't end up putting some time aside and sacrificing something that we might want to do, then um, we're just going to be, we're going to end up going our whole life and we'll be lost. You know? So you do prioritize, you go to school, right? put in your effort, whatever effort it takes, but I know individuals who they, they were in school, their parents would force them to study, like an exam was coming up, study the material like three or four times. This person was smart. They were like, oh, I, I finished my studies. This was a straight A student in university, straight A student. And they were like, I finished all my studies. And their parents would come and say, no, study more. So this person, what would they do? They'd sit down, they'd put on their headphones, and they'd open their book and they'd just sit there and whatever. Parents would come and they'd act like they're studying and reading. <laughs> That's too much, right? And I'm not, maybe that individual was like in a difficult situation, but the parents should realize then, right? We have to realize like there's, there's a certain limit to something and we have to dedicate some time to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have to take, make out time, right? Take time out. Uh, coming, when it comes to hanging out with friends, we should have friends that also have that drive so that when we're socializing to, you know, take our mind off of stuff, we can do it in ways that will bring ourselves closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know? Right, so <clears throat> excessive ambition. Right, because why? No amount of money, no amount of security will relieve, Imam Zai says, will relieve hearts that are constricted. No amount of money will do that. Right? We think, my father used to tell us that he, there was somebody he worked with. I mean, he, my father, so my father's been here since 1959. Okay, and he's been working, and he was like, you know, his, I don't know, the first car he bought was 300 bucks or something like that back in the 70s or the 60s or something, you know? It was when he used to, he came and he used to work in the 60s making 25 cents an hour, you know? <laughs> like, times change, you know? Inflation and, you know, all that stuff. But he said that you know, when he started working in the 70s and in the 80s and stuff, there was one uh, coworker of his who was like, you know, if I just make $40,000 a year, $50,000 a year, I'll be happy. And they're working, a few years go by. He's like, you know, if I just make 50, I'll be happy. A few years go by, if I just make 60,000, I'll be happy. You know? And this is not like we think about, oh, well, times change. You hold a job for 8, 10 years, it doesn't change that drastically. Like salaries won't go from 30,000 being the norm to like 70,000 in a matter of 10 years. Right? It's a gradual increase. But what happens is we're never content. Right? We're never content with the situation that we're in. And we're always trying to work to make more money. When I was working, then my boss, I, you know, she said that uh, you should take this promotion. 
I used to work for Verizon Wireless in sales. So my boss was like, you should take this promotion at the mall. Senior sales rep. It's a promotion, and you're in the mall. Like, so much money. People make so much money because they're on commission at the mall. There's so many people there. I was like, no, I don't, I'd rather not. She said, why? I said, well, because I don't want to work till 11 p.m., you know? She said, why? But you'll make more money. I said, but what's the point of making more money if you don't have time to enjoy it and have time to spend it, you know? And she was like, wow, that's really, I never thought about that. You know, this is what our mashaykh teach us. This is not from ourselves. This is what the ulama, those that are guided, teach us. So that's what we have. We can't get lost in our ambition and in the ambition of our careers. You know, we have to remember that the, our end will come. And when we go into our grave, Allah is not going to ask us what our degree was. He's not going to ask us how much money we made. He'll ask us what we did with our money, yeah. He's not going to ask us, right, on Yom Al-Qiyamah. He'll ask us how, what we did with our money. The grave, what's he going to ask us? Who is your Lord? Who is your Prophet? What is your religion? That's what he's going to ask us, you know. There was like some, I think one of Donald Trump's surrogates or somebody who was working on his campaign a month ago, a few weeks ago, quit. And she put on her, she posted on her Twitter the picture of a whiteboard. I don't know if she wrote it or what, probably. And she wrote, it was something to the effect like, you know, um, something to the effect like, you know, you may have a, a better car, a newer car or a fancier car, a bigger house and, you know, make more money, but all of our graves are the same size, right? That's the reality. So we have to prioritize. A lot of people, you know, will have classes and people will say, oh, I just don't have time. I just don't have time. But we do have time. We have to take out time, you know? And we can exert our minds and our bodies. There's a study being done or that's been done on athletes and people who engage in physical, physical activity, right? So people going for a run or something like that. When a person gets to a point where they say, I just can't run anymore, I'm done, said those individuals, uh, when you look at their muscles, their muscles are not exhausted. It's their minds that are exhausted, right? That's why I say like knowing is half the battle or half of it is mental, right? But those people who, they, they, they have the mental ability that they bring in their senses and their mind, they say, no, I can do it. I can keep going. They're able, they're the ones who are successful, they're the ones that keep going. Some of us be like, man, I just, I, I don't have enough time, but you're sleeping 10 hours a day. <laughs> you have time if you're sleeping 10 hours a day. You know, it's amazing what the body can do. You don't want to burn out, you know, you don't want to burn out, but we should take some time out and make a habit of it because time goes and you keep, you get lost, especially like, you know, you guys are in university now, you're going to get married and time will go and you'll start kind of getting a schedule again. And then when you have kids, it's just like... <laughs> There's no time for anything, but you have to make time. There are people that make time. You know, there are people that make time. Somebody said to me regarding like making dhikr and stuff. He's like, yeah, you know, it's easy when you're not married. But when you're married and you have kids and then you have another kid, it's just like there's nothing. So this individual, he had two kids of, him, of his own. He said, yeah, but there's always an excuse. You know, you have to, you have to take time out. You know, we'll say, no, I don't have time, but we'll, we'll sleep six hours and then we'll wake up for fajr and then we'll go back to sleep. I mean, you can, you know, you can do it. You can take out 15 minutes, a half an hour. No one's saying to take out two hours. 10, 15 minutes you can take out, you know. Or, or once a week you can go to a class, you know. Twice a week you can go to a class. It has to be something. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those actions that are consistent even if small, right. And that's what keeps our iman going. So over-ambition uh, is what prevents us from this. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, uh, uh, what is it? 
وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْنُ وَأَبَقَى Right? That the akhirah, it is everlasting. It is better and it is everlasting. It will remain. The dunya will not. The dunya will come to an end. But the akhirah, it will never come to an end. So then the discussion goes to what is tawakkul? Tawakkul does not mean to ignore the causes. This is darul asbab. This is the world of means. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it. So it doesn't mean to ignore the causes. There was one individual I met in South Africa. He said, yeah, I don't have the, you know, the registration for the, for the car. And the, you put the license plate, you, know, you put on the license plate, the tabs basically. He goes, no, I don't have that. I trust in Allah. I know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect me because I'm doing this to earn, I'm, I'm driving these cars to learn a, or to earn a livelihood for my family. He's a mechanic. So he, he goes around and, you know, getting parts and all that stuff. He goes, I don't even wear my seatbelt. That's not tawakkul. That's stupidity. <laughs> you know, that's ridiculous. That's not tawakkul. Like, <laughs> you have to, that's where we say, look, you have to, that's where the hadith that tying your camel down comes. He's like, yeah, I know. Policeman comes behind me. And I know, yeah, Allah, I'm doing, I'm earning a livelihood, a halal income. So you'll save me. Okay, mashallah, like, you know, inshallah, he won't get a ticket or something like that. But, I mean, still, <laughs> that's ridiculous, you know, that's stupidity. They say, the ulama say that to sit and not care about something is laziness. And laziness is sinful. Whereas tawakkul is an obligation. We're required to have trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are at different levels of how much trust we have in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have to work to increase that, right? And, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's not so severe that when we're putting in effort, He's going to say, no, you didn't have the level of trust that some of my other slaves did. No, no, you know, it's, it's in everyone's different, everyone has, is at a different level, we have different capabilities. But this is to negate the idea that, oh, I just, like we say, for example, that uh, rizq is guaranteed for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide for us. He will grant us sustenance. So to say that, well, if that amount of food is going to come to me anyway, if that amount of money is going to come to me anyway, so I'm just going to sit back and I'm not going to do anything and it's, it'll still come to me, that's sinful because you're just being lazy. You're using it as an excuse to not do anything. Whereas you're required to go and make an effort. You make an effort and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide for you. Right? And it's, what's going to happen is if you sit and don't do anything, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might, you know, your risk might be very low, very little. Because that's, what, that's how you're going to live your life. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, well, you weren't going to put effort, so I'll provide just a little bit of risk. Right? So that's what we mean, having this balance between knowing that the risk will come to us and having trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So we say that the risk will come to us. Therefore, we make an effort, we work. But don't go like, you know, somebody's, for example, somebody might be making $100,000 a year with a business. They say, no, I just, I want more. These are already, some, like one particular example that comes to mind, this individual, when you tell them, you know, you got to take time out for the good, take time out, you know, you know, let's get together, improve yourself in the deen. Yeah, I know, man, I want to, but I just don't have enough time. You know, it's so much effort running a business. You're right, absolutely. Right, you have several kids and all that stuff. It is a lot, a lot of effort. But then what happens? After a few weeks, they call you and they say, what do you think if I open another business, another branch? SubhanAllah, you're saying you don't have enough time to, run, to, to take out a little bit of time to come to the masjid or to go to programs or to have, uh, to increase yourself, uh, better yourself and come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't have time for that because you have one store. But then you have enough time to open a second store? That doesn't make sense. And if you have enough time to open a second store, fine. You can do it. If it makes sense, you can do it. But recognize that you have, not, you have time to take out for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Right? 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, Imam Uzali or the ulama say that Allah ta'ala has made this world a world of cause and effect. This is called hikmatul tasbib, the wisdom for the different asbab, the different reasons, uh, reasons why things take place. So to ignore those means is foolishness. And what's more is that the ulama say that our efforts is an active prayer. So imagine, you going and exerting your effort to earn a livelihood is an act of prayer. It is an act of worship. As long as we have the right intention. And that intention is a halal income, provide for my family. And you can add other things to it, you know. Give a comfortable life to my family. There's nothing wrong with that. Having, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, having money and means to contribute to good causes, to help other people out. All those are great intentions. You can have all those intentions. And with those intentions, every single, that, that job that you hate and can't wait to get out of every single day is an act of ibadah for you. That class that you can't stand and wait till it's finished is an act of ibadah for you. As long as your intention behind it is good and pure and for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually rebukes people who are too lazy to demand what is theirs. Right? Allah Ta'ala rebukes people who are too lazy to demand what is theirs. So don't be like somebody who's just, you know, somebody's coming and they're taking all your stuff, they're using all your stuff, and it's causing you difficulty, and it's causing you heartache, and you're just like, oh, you know, it's just from Allah. No, like you have to stand up for your stuff, you know. So what does that tell us? That tells us that when you, give it, when you have a job and they offer you a salary, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I think I deserve a little bit more than that. How about another, you know, instead of 50, how about 55,000, you know, or something something like that that's not that's not go, that doesn't go against having tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's not being greedy you know it's okay to, to do that what do we do we make effort and we put our tawakkul we put trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the outcome is good for us and has some hikmah in it but what we think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there are those things that you think are bad for you but they're good for you and there are those things that you think are good for you but they're bad for you so we make effort and we put trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the outcome is good for us. That doesn't mean that it's the outcome we think is good. It's that the outcome, what comes from it, have trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it is good for us and that there's some wisdom behind it. That means that it might not go according to plan, right? Some people will say, well, you know, like they had a difficult marriage, for example. Maybe they got a divorce. Well, I made istikhara beforehand. It didn't work. It doesn't mean it didn't work. It happened. You did your part. Now ha- put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you, what, what difficulties came about from that situation was provi- it provided some good for you. That there was some wisdom in it for why it happened. That's what having tawakkul is. That's how we bring this balance between exerting our effort, making a plan, having some bit of ambition, making a plan, and then whatever outcome happens, you trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whatever happens... You're, there's some wisdom behind it. There's some wisdom behind it. You know? So many people, like you go and you study the deen and you, you, you meet people who say that, you know, I had everything. I had everything. And, you know, then my, like, you know, there was an accident or, like, I lost my job and then the money went and then, like, you know, things became difficult for me and all that stuff. And you say, man, you know, I'll make it easy for you. How did you get through it? They say, no, no, no problem. Because if it wasn't for all of that, I wouldn't have been here today. Meaning I wouldn't have come into the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to then study and come closer to Him. Right? So, so uh, oftentimes, it's very often, it's very common that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put you through some difficulty 
in order to bring something better out of it. Right? Yeah. His brother has a cancer, and then he passed away from it. But like, he himself like basically kind of didn't learn from that. And then now, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, he calls it. He has cancer now too, and then he's like in stage four or whatever. And then he calls it a gift from Allah because now like he's getting closer to Allah as he's kind of getting closer. So. Yeah, right. That's possible, right? That's a lot of people that happens. They get severely sick. And now they have some indication like, I'm going to die and it's going to be within, who knows, like could be very, very soon, right? So what, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts the tawbah of everyone as long as it's done before you die, right? He accepts that tawbah from an individual up until the last moment, right? He accepts that, that repentance. And so it's a way sometimes for people to, yeah, to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They start making amends for whatever actions they did and, you know, with people and individuals and all that stuff. But like, what is that, you know, how like, some people are just like astray and they, they never get guidance until they're like past. But some people, they Allah give them something that makes them return to Him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He, he, he tests everyone, right? And He said, وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقُصٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ right? That we will definitely test you, everyone. And there's emphasis on this. We will definitely test you with fear and with hunger and with loss of life and with wealth, with everything, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed that He's going to test us in different things. So He tests everyone, but the reason that He puts these tests upon us is so that we, it shows us, it basically shows us who we are. You know, so for example, in, in, the, in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings verses about the battle of Khandaq that took place. Right, the battle of Khandaq, the battle of the trenches. Right, where Salman al-Farsi came and the, right, or the, the confederates, when all the different groups gathered up against the Muslims and they came with 10,000 and there was only 3,000 Muslims and they basically barricaded themselves in, the, in Medina Munawwara. And Salman al-Farsi was there from Persia and he said, you know, our method of warfare was that we used to dig really deep, wide trenches. So it's difficult for people to, they can't jump across it and then coming up it, they go, they, they go very slow. Right, so they dug these trenches. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says in the Quran that we, uh, we tested these individuals and it was those munafiqeen, like this test manif- made manifest the nifaq of the munafiqeen, the hypocrisy of the hypocrites, and the strength, the firmness of iman of the Muslims. So difficulties will come upon us and it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's way of differentiating between his slaves. Not that he needs to differentiate, he already knows. But it's there so that on the day of judgment, when we're asked about our actions, we won't be able to say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, well, you know, because he could just say, well, I knew you were going to act this way. And we, we then would have said, well, how do you know? You know, you didn't allow me to act. When we act, then it becomes a witness for us or against us. So tests are there. And they're not there. They're not just because you're going through a difficulty. It doesn't mean Allah ta'ala is angry with you. Right? It doesn't mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is angry. It just... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to increase you in your nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So He opens these doors up. That's why it's interesting when you go and study the deen, everyone goes through some weird type of sickness when you're studying. Something weird. I had a friend in Madrasa that he went blind for a few days. Like something really weird, you know? <laughs> right? There are certain individuals that their, their bodies became so weak they couldn't walk. Such like weird, crazy infections, you know, that, that happened out of nothing. 
right? You have like, you're lying in bed with some weird infection that you're sleeping 20 hours a day and all your roommates are totally fine. You're eating the same thing, you're drinking the same thing, you're living the same, you're on the same schedule, right? And people go through different things. Why? It's just Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's testing you, right? And the closer you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more difficult the test will be. The more difficult the test will be. We had a teacher, his like, you know, he would come and teach us and we noticed that one, for one particular week, we noticed that he was really tired when he was coming in. And it wasn't like him to be so exhausted. And his, you know, eyes were red and he's just like stopping himself from yawning and he's really tired. We found out after a week that his daughter had been in the hospital. She was like 15 or something. She'd been in the hospital for a week and she was in real bad shape. Nobody knew, right? He kept coming, kept coming, kept doing whatever, his, whatever he needed to do, you know, to fulfill his duty, to teach and whatnot. The people that are closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala go through more, diffic- go through more difficulties. You know, that's why Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she said that after witnessing the Prophet sallallahu and his deathbed, she said that I never, I never thought bad of anybody who went through difficulty in their death, went through pain in their death after witnessing the pain the Prophet felt in his death, experienced in his death. Because the pain that he felt was more than anyone I could ever see or imagine. And he has the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if he experienced that pain, then like who are we, you know? Uh, so yeah, so we don't know, but we, we don't know why things happen. We, we don't know um, what the outcome will be, but we should trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the outcome, there has some, there's some wisdom in it. So then the ulama, they write that, that uh, a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should have two qualities. Okay, two qualities. One is that they should be truthful in everything that they do and say and in their conviction and intention to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So be truthful in everything that you do and say and in your conviction and intention to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then rely on feeling confident in Him. So that's where we come to that level of tawakkul, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wakil. So it's mentioned that these two qualities comprise all of creed. Our entire creed is gathered up in these two qualities. If you have these two qualities, you've, you have the fruit of iman. Uh, to be truthful in everything that you do and say, and in your conviction and intention. And then to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, feeling confident in Him. So it's mentioned that, uh, it's mentioned that typically people are, effect, are afflicted with either lack of guidance or reluctance to la- rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Usually, it's one of the two. We usually uh, have you know, lack of guidance, so something happens. We, we haven't gone out and learned the deen and you know, why things happen. And we, we haven't increased our iman, strengthened our iman. And so then we become despondent. Or we have that knowledge base, but we are reluctant to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So usually a person is afflicted with one of, one of two of these things. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Tawbah, فَقُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّهُ عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْتُ وَهُوَ رَبُّ الْعَرْشِ الْعَظِيمُ That say, uh, uh, we trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no deity except Him, and upon Him do we put our trust. Right? Or sorry, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient for us. Sufficient for me, there's no deity except Him, and I place my trust in Him. He is the Lord of the Great Throne. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That there are those 
who when the people say to them that everyone has gathered against you, everyone has gathered against you, فَخْشَوْهُمْ So you should fear them. What does it do? فَزَادَهُمْ imana That it only increases those people in their iman. وَقَالُوا حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلُ And they say that we trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what a fine, uh, Allah ta'ala is sufficient for us and what a fine trustee He is. This is, this is a very profound verse of Qur'an and particularly our current, you know, our modern context. Right? What happened in the presidential debate? When they were asked about Muslims, they both basically gave the same answer. You know? You guys know what's happening in your communities and the terrorism that's happening, so you need to give that information over. Like, what is that supposed to mean? We're just like binoculars for you to, you know, look into the, you know? Yeah, if there's something happening, by all means, go and say it, right? We don't want anyone's, you know, anyone to be endangered or anything like that. But like, you're making it sound like it's in every single community things are happening, whereas it's not. You know, I went to a conference this weekend in, in Dallas, MLFA, Muslim Legal Fund of America. And... Um, it's basically, and the CLCMA, right? It's like Civil Liberties, something of Muslims, Muslims of America or something like that. The majority of the lawyers there running these things are non-Muslim lawyers, right? One of the guys, he's like, he could be making millions as a lawyer, but he's devoted himself to running this organization, being one of the main lawyers for this organization of Muslim Civil Liberties. They were telling us, they're like, they mentioned, they said that... Um, since 2001, there's been 10 legitimate terrorist cases. They said less than 10, actually. Less than 10 legitimate cases, terrorism cases. We make it sound, when we watch the news, and they, the way they talk about it, it's like every single day something's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? So people are, seems they're gathering against us. right? We, we, we watch like, the different rallies happening. We watch the different protests happening. All, you know, this, that, the other thing. People say, more or less, look, everyone is turning against you, just, you know, don't, you know, you, know, you should you step away from being visibly Muslim, step away from, you know, don't become so religious, this, that, the other thing. Allah SWT says, right? What do they say? Fear them. That's what they're saying. That's what Allah SWT says. They will say, فَخْشَوْهُمْ, that fear them. But what happens? فَزَادَهُمْ imana. It only increases those people in their faith to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So that's how we're supposed to be. We do our duty. We fulfill our responsibility to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Right, and then we put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Okay, so what if you feel confident in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you don't feel confident in what you're doing with your life? Does that mean you don't really feel confident in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I don't know. Maybe what you're doing is not like a great choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, what it means is you exercise the means that are there, that are around us, right? So... You know, the chances of having a good job without a degree are not super likely. You know, it's possible. A lot of people do it. But most people should go to school and get a degree. You know? But like, for example, in many of our communities, we have this idea of getting a master's degree. Why? Just because it makes you a better person. It doesn't really make you a better person. You know? Somebody said that to my brother once. I'm not against getting a master's degree, right? It's just like, just for the sake of it, why? What's the point? Just for the sake of it. So like he has, a, he has a degree in computer science. So they said, well, you should get a master's in computer science. He said, I already did that. Why should I go and get a further, you know? If, if I was really into the field, okay, fine, maybe. But why, you know? He said, no, just get one because it'll make you better. So why will it make me better? It will make you a better person. He said, is it going to make me a better son or a better father or a better husband? Yes. Really? Like, come on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like that's, you know? 
but we, you know, we take the plans, we take, that's, that's what we're talking about, overambition, like just for the sake of it, just go and do it for the sake of it, right? People used to tell me like, nobody's going to marry you if you don't have a master's degree. I said, if that's the case, I don't want to marry that person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. People actually say this, this stuff. There's a lot of people that have these ideas. But we, we exercise the means uh, and we try to do, you know, we, like, you know, for example, for a job, you know, you study the market, you see what's going to be good, what, you know, what people are doing. You make mashwara, people who have the know-how, the knowledge base, right? You do those types of things and then you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know? Our choices may not be, like, as long as you do the, you do your, your due diligence, then you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Does that make, answer your question? Kind of, kind of, not entirely. <laughs> I feel like it's like a very specific situation that you're asking about. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, you know, we should be confident in ourselves also, right? Sometimes people just lack confidence, you know? Uh, so we should be confident in ourselves also. It means don't be, um, don't be irresponsible, right? Don't be irresponsible. Right. Any question? Oh yeah. Um, it was related to like the degree thing because like a lot of like, especially like girls in college going to school trying to get like better education or whatever. Like in the Muslim community, it's gonna look down in some part, especially if you're going to school longer. Yeah. Like, is that like, is it? Are we like actually doing a bad thing? But not like, I don't know, because I get confused all the time when like people are telling me that like I'm going to school for too long. Like, why you don't need to do that? You're a girl. So like, I'm confused. I don't know if it's like religious or like. No, it's not. It's not religious. Like you know, religiously, there's not. There's. I mean, education is a good thing. You know, education is a good thing. But it comes to, you know, it comes down to, again, like priorities. You understand? Our communities have a lot of, like, thing, a lot of deficiencies culturally, right? Culturally, so not Islamically, but culturally. One of the things that we have to deal with is that people oftentimes, you know, there's the idea of, oh, well, like, when a girl gets too old, right, then she's not as marriageable, okay? So usually when people are speaking from that angle, that's what they mean, like, oh, when you become too old. Like, you know, it happens that very often when you, a certain age is reached, then people will think twice about getting married to that individual, right? And it's not, it doesn't only go for girls. Same goes for guys, too. I know people that were like, no, I'm waiting till you know, I'm like 35 before I get married. And then like 40 years old, they come, they're still not married. And like 45 comes and they're still not married, you know? So... <coughs> That again comes back to the overambition that we prioritize, right? Having that, like, you want to have such ambition that you don't want to, you know, you're putting your deen aside because, you know, by not going, by, by not giving time to improving yourself in deen, you're such ambition in your career that you're putting family aside and all that stuff. You might have to do it for a little bit of time, right? But overambitious, we're like, because what's going to happen is a lot of these people, they wait so long to get married, for example that it becomes more difficult, right? And then they start feeling very lonely. They start getting very irritable because they want to get married. Because the time comes where you want somebody to, you just want an emotional support, right? So there's no like black and white, yes or no answer to that question. But a part of it in understanding it is understanding the cultures that we come from, right? Uh, and cultures, need to be, if there's something bad in culture, it needs to be broken down, 
you know, Islamically, it's easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. So, like, also, you, can, you know, talk about, like, sometimes people won't get, they're in a really bad marriage, marriage situation, but they won't divorce. They won't get a divorce because the girl will say, no, nobody's going to marry me. They're going to look down on me. Like, if you're in a bad situation, you need to get out of that situation, right? And if people are not going to marry you, like, unfortunately, a lot of communities overseas, right, have that problem that, oh, no, they've been married and, you know, like there's some deficiency there. No, sometimes you just get a bump in the road, you know? And that's one thing, like, part of American culture, it's not, it's not a thing, you know? You're divorced, okay, things didn't work out. You know what I mean? Like, let's move on, right? Um, so unfortunately, we have to deal with the different cultures that we come from. And that's usually what, how the angle, that perspective that people are speaking from, you know? Um, so there's nothing wrong with education, but we should, you know, prioritize, you know? And like, you know, look, Islamically, Islamically, uh, the husband is supposed to be the breadwinner, right? Meaning, not that a woman is not allowed to earn money, but the husband, it's his responsibility, Right? He's not allowed to tell his wife, you go work, I'm not doing anything. He's not allowed to do that. Understand? That's, like the, that's, that's how it is in Islam. So that doesn't mean there's something wrong with a woman getting an education and working. Right? But on the flip side, it's more a responsibility of the mother to be around the children when they're younger especially. The father should also be there. He shouldn't be an absent father. But it's more a responsibility of the woman because nobody can take the place of the mother. Nobody can take the place of the mother. Right? It's funny, like, my wife will, you know, she'll, when we have, you know, our son is 11 months old, and she'll say, like, oh, his, you know, his, his mama bars are low, <laughs> right? He just needs his time with, with his mother, you know? He just needs to, like, go to her and be around her and, like, be in her arms, you know? That'll ha when I go home, he'll come to me also. When I'm leaving, he'll come stand at the door, and he'll, like, wave at the door and, you know, want to come outside. But he literally doesn't need to spend as much time with me. And it's not like I'm just saying that. He, you can see it. It's something you can observe. You know, they don't have that need because nobody can take the place of the mother. The father has his place also. Uh, but that's why even in Islam, like in the case of divorce, when there's children, uh, they're supposed to spend a certain portion of their years, their younger years, especially with the mother. And then a certain, a few years with the father and all that type of thing, right? Of course, there's exceptions and all that stuff. Like, you know, you might have an abusive father or something, whatever, right? All those things are taken into consideration, but many people, what's happening nowadays, like both mother and father are working, right? Because they, they want, they want to make more money and such and you know, so on and so forth. And they don't want to, they, they just leave the children with the grandparents or with somebody who's not even family. Even the grandparents can't take the place of the mother, you know? And you see it, like from people who both families are working. I mean, again, it's not a, necessarily every single case, right? But in, in my own observation that those families where both husband and wife are working, uh, like especially when they don't need to be working, right? One is you get to a situation where there's a legitimate need, okay? That's different. But they don't need to both be working and they're leaving the child with the grandparents. Those children are like, they really act out. When the parents come home, they're acting out like crazy because they want the attention of the parents, especially the mother. It's just biologically, that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us, you know? So we should put um, priority in that. You know, particularly when the children are young, when they get older and stuff like that, you know, or maybe like while they're in school, you know, working and stuff like that, but time needs to be spent with them. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like societal and mental issues that are happening as a result of children not being around their parents, right? To the point, I'm not saying it's definitive, but to the point, I recently read an article that 
there's a correlation between people who become between homosexuals and not having like for boys not having their father figure and a, and for girls not having their mother figure around, right? I'm not saying it's a definitive and all that stuff, but there is a cor- there, there's recent studies that show a correlation with that, you know. Um, so we have to take all these things into consideration when, when living our life, right? So the father should be working. The husband should be working, right? He's the one. It's his responsibility. And it's, it's the wife's right over him that he goes and provides. And the wife should be spending more time with the child. But the father also needs to be there for the child, you know? It's like it's a two-way thing, right? There's, I mean, there's, both are parents, you know? So, like I said, there's not, almost nothing in Islam is black and white. But, you know, again, that's kind of like how cultures work and then a little bit of like how it works Islamically and all that stuff okay but there's nothing against I mean people will say like oh you know like when it comes to Islamic knowledge a woman cannot be a muftiya right women cannot be a, like a mufti give fatwa like I mean you have Aisha another example <laughs> what more example what better example do you want it's ridiculous you know what I mean anyway any other questions let me just uh, read the next two um, we have time. It's five thirty-five. Should finish up. Let's finish up. The next two are Qawi and Mateen, but they are they're like very short. So we can just go over them very quickly, inshallah, next time. <coughs>